Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning, the final from T-Mobile Park in Seattle in a brisk two hours and 14 minutes. Unfortunately, opening day, it's the Seattle Mariners three, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I am so glad to be back for our fourth season together talking Cleveland baseball. Whether, no matter what the team is called, we are back talking Cleveland baseball. So let's get into it. I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And did you do it? Did you stay awake? I mean, it was it was literally a brisk 2:14. I mean, me and my brother were texting that it was flying. Castillo was like, uh, you know how you could turn the speed of the podcast up, or an audio book or something like that. I think you can even do it with Netflix now. You can turn the speed up. That's what it felt like. Castillo was cooking out there on the mound. He was getting rid of the ball before the batter even hit their eight second mark or whatever it is that they have to be in the box. So this game was moving and uh, unfortunately me my brother and my dad we've been to enough of these opening days we know how this goes we we've seen it we've lived it these opening day games are enigmas they 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 don't work like the other 161 games throughout the season they they have this weird energy to them and they seem to fly by and for some reason in Cleveland, it just never seems like a big offensive day. Uh, when we win, we squeak squeak by. When we lose, it's usually something like this. I just, man, I, I we sat through. We've sat and froze our butts off through too many of these up opening days in Cleveland. We, we know the routine, and it was the exact same thing in this one. The offense just could not get going. And, I mean, usually it's because you're facing the team's ace and that's exactly I mean that's the top storyline in this game we were facing the ace for their team and Castillo was just filthy just downright filthy efficient uh gets six innings pitched one hit no runs no walks six strikeouts uh on how many pitches here 76 pitches 59 for strikes just super efficient so that's the top storyline here so uh, that's kind of how the show works. Uh, if you're joining us for this season, we get into storylines in this thing. We find the storylines within the game. Every game, every series, sometimes even at bat, has a storyline to it. Uh, Karen Chuck's meltdown in the eighth inning, which I'm I'm getting to. I know that's what you're thinking. Uh, that's a storyline all in of itself. Uh, man, what a journey that was. Uh, so yeah, so that's what we do on the show. We break down the storylines of the game. It's a fun way of looking at the game and breaking down the action without me just reading the box score to you, right? Uh, so uh, that's how we're going to do it on the show. And then I actually got two emails in the inbox uh, that we're going to get to. Plus, plus, I haven't talked to you since Andres Jimenez signed his long-term contract, since Trevor Steffen has been extended. So there was some big off-field news, Tristan McKenzie's injury. We haven't talked since then. So there's some off-field, uh, off-the-field stuff that we're going to get to after we discuss the game. So uh, we're going to try to do it as a fast episode because, hey, it's uh, I'm doing recording this after the game ended, so it's getting close to 1 a.m. here in Cleveland. So let's talk. Let's have a fun, quick episode to kick off this season because there's not many details to this game to really sink our teeth into. Like I said, Castillo 
was kind of filthy. Uh, you know, one of the things we do here on the show is we spend a lot of time on the Baseball Savant page, uh, stack cast page. still feel like there's two names for it, which is really weird. But it gives us a lot of good details about the game and about the data and the things that we were seeing, right? And it kind of clues us in. So uh, what was so effective for Castillo in this one? How did he outduel Shane Bieber in this one? Uh, well, looking at his CSW numbers, his called strikes plus whiffs, he was in the 40% on a lot of his pitches. The only pitch that really wasn't working for him was the sinker. Uh, the four-seam fastball, he had a 40%. Seven whiffs, five called strikes. On the changeup, he had uh, three whiffs and three called strikes for a 46% CSW. And the slider, which doesn't throw that often, but it's a really effective pitch. I was looking at his numbers on the slider because I was wondering why Oscar Gonzalez wasn't in the lineup. I thought, you know, I texted my brother. I was like, well, maybe Castillo just has a wicked slider, right? And he's trying to save him from facing this guy. Uh, in the first game of the season. I mean, they said in the broadcast, hey, he's just he's determined to get Brennan at-bats and a righty starter. He thought, I'm going to put Brennan in there, put my lefty in there, get him some at-bats. So uh, he does have a wicked slider. He just doesn't use it very often. But it's got a high whiff rate, a high put-away rate, negative run value last season. And that's exactly what he has here. He only throws it 10 times, but it's effective. He gets a whiff on seven swings. He gets three called strikes. It's a 40% CSW on the pitch. It's a 37% CSW total on the day for Castillo. And the thing I noticed is the location of the strikeouts. So jumping over to the Illustrator tab on StatCast, uh, we can isolate just the uh, just the strikeouts here. And man, mid-season last year, I was so fast at navigating this website while talking to you at the same time. I'm a little bit rusty. It's going to take me a while to warm up to uh, navigating around the StatCast page uh, while carrying on a conversation with you. But if we isolate just the strikeout pitches here, right? Six strikeouts over six innings. Four of them are getting guys to expand the strike zone, to go out of the strike zone. He got Ahmed Rosario the first inning to swing at one that was in his armpit, basically. Uh, he got Zanino swinging at a high fastball. He got Jimenez chasing a high and away sinker. Uh, and then he got Steven Kwan to go down after a changeup. Changes speeds on him on a 1-2 count and gets him to swing over top of a changeup. So gets four guys to expand the zone there. Um, then uh, Brash comes in, the bullpen comes in, and they're getting guys to expand the zone. So Brash gets his two strikeouts by getting guys to chase. He gets Ahmed Rosario to chase a slider down and away. And then he gets uh, Jose Ramirez on a knuckle curve uh, down and in. So, again, expanding the zone. The hitters were maybe a little a little too aggressive, maybe a little too anxious on opening day. Want, you know, they want those hits. They, they're trying a little bit too much, and they expanded the zone today. So I think that's the top storyline of this game. I mean, Seattle's pitching was as advertised. Not to take anything away from Shane Bieber because he was good he just, you worked through a little bit more, right? He had a few more runners on base. He had some situations he had to work out of. It's kind of a classic Shane Bieber outing where he only goes six innings because he does put in a lot of work with runners on base. We, we've kind of seen that over the last season. Uh, that was a thing he where he wasn't getting super deep into games. He was pitching good. He was keeping that ERA down. But he was dealing with a lot of guys on base. So he does give up six hits over six innings. 
He only has three strikeouts, but no walks really helps things out. And when he got into trouble, he got out of it. Even runner on third one out, he's able to get a sharp ground ball to Josh Naylor, and then he's able to put the inning away. So his CSW numbers are not at the same level as Castillo's. Now we're looking at these starters and their CSW numbers. The 40% line is like the line between elite pitching uh, and good pitching. And Bieber wasn't quite that high. He's been there before, but he was a 29% total CSW on the day. Uh, his most effective pitch, uh, he, he got some whiffs on the cutter. He got a few whiffs on the slider. Got a lot of called strikes on the four-seam fastball. A 38% CSW on that pitch. Uh, but wasn't really racking up the strikes in this one. Wasn't really racking up the strikeouts. Only three strikeouts. All right, so this game's cruising along. It's getting late, right? I, my eyes are starting to get heavy. I don't even think I I might have slept through the Trevor Steffen inning, to be honest with you. And uh, then Karinczak comes into the game. And, boy, can a Karinczak inning wake you up real fast. I mean, this guy battling the pitch clock, battling his own control issues. Uh, you know, they were talking, didn't really have command of the curveball, so was just throwing all fastballs. And they were kind of sitting on it. And he got into their power hitters, and Ty France was ready for it. Now, he's, look, it's 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 kind of really messed up that they can't review whether or not a guy fouled a ball off. How is that not a reviewable play? That makes no sense. I mean, something we can see clear as day on camera. The ball shifts off the bat into Zanino's glove, rattles around like it's pretty clear. But instead, J.P. Crawford is given a walk because it was like a weird check swing foul ball situation. How is that not reviewable? Anything that could be clearly seen by the camera sh- should be reviewable, right? What, what what makes that not reviewable? But anyways, Crawford gets the base. He gets Rodriguez to fly out, but then he hits Colton Wong. He throws he throws all his fastballs up. If we go over to the illustrator again and we look, Karinchek didn't throw one pitch below the knees. Everything, everything is at the belt or above. There's no mystery to what he's throwing here. And so he hits Colton Wong, kind of leans in with that elbow pad, takes one for the team, two guys on, and it brings up uh, Ty France. And uh, let's go to the matchup here. Let's see uh, how this at-bat unfolded. I can't remember how many pitches was it. Three pitches. So... Misses way over his head with a fastball for a ball. Uh, He brings one down into the zone that he fouls off. Now he's sitting on that four-seam fastball. He's got it. And he throws him basically another one at the same height. This one is out over the plate. So what does he do? You get a pitch out over the plate. You go opposite field with it. But he's able to lift it. A high fastball at only 94.6. And he's able to lift it and drive it down the right field line and put it out for a three-run home run. So, yeah, Karen Check, man, he worked himself into that. Francona doesn't, boy, he really doesn't go back to that bullpen until a guy's buried himself, right? Until a guy's actually given up runs, Francona will stick with you and see if you can get out of the inning. And he sticks with Karen Check too long here. A guy who was, whether it's the pitch clock or the crowd, 
The crowd noise was pretty electric in Seattle. I got to give the crowd their credit. They made this feel like an important game. And they had Karen Sheck kind of on the ropes. There was a lot of things working against him, including not having command of his curveball, which keeps guys off this high fastball. That's usually his combination. Curveballs at the knee, fastballs at the sh- at the letters. That's usually Karen Check's conversation. Our combination doesn't have it. Doesn't have it tonight. So France gets the big home run. He's the big hero on opening day for Seattle. The Guardians put up a nice little attempt in the ninth inning. Ahmed Rosario shoots a single through. Jose Ramirez jumps on a first pitch slider and shoots it in the right field for a double. The first extra base hit of the season for the Guardians. No surprise, it goes to Jose Ramirez. It brings up Josh Bell. Chance, you know, the tying run at the plate, and he can't get it done. Grounds out to uh, end the game. Did have three hard hit balls, including a base hit on the day for Josh Bell. So put some good swings on the ball. Just didn't have the results. Uh, in fact, uh, let's go back to the scoreboard. What was that last one? Yeah, the last one was a hard hit ball, 97.6 mile per hour ground out. So, um, that's your storylines of this game. It's, it's disappointing, but opening day is such a weird, uh, isolated incident, right? There's, there's, uh, there's no trends yet. There's no geyser and hot streaks or cold streaks. There's just, there's just opening day. So, Take it what for what it is. It's a celebration that baseball is back. It didn't go our way. There's three more games out there in Seattle, and uh, let's wait until the weekend is over before we get into any kind of panic or anything over the offense. So let's see what they got against some of the other pitching. Now, the pitching doesn't get any easier for Seattle, right? They're still going to run out some great arms for the rest of this series against us. But I think this team, uh, give them a few games. Give them some time to get going here. So uh, that's all my uh, thoughts on this game. Like I said, we got some more things to talk about. Um, MVP on the day. You know, we do a daily podcast. So it's a segment we've been doing since this podcast started. It's really hard for games like this. Uh, nobody was really, ugh, nobody was really stood out in this one. So you know what? I, I'm actually. For opening day, I'm I'm gonna hold MVP for the day. I'm I'm not I'm not handing it out tonight. I'm not doing it. I mean, I guess Bieber would be your only candidate. He did pitch six shutout innings on opening day. I mean, he kept you in the game. He did what Bieber does, but he was also hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Gave up six hits, walked a tightrope in some of these innings. So uh, I I don't know. I don't know. That didn't really feel like anybody earned it uh, in this one. So, um, yeah, that's all the thoughts on our opening day game. Let's move into some of those news stories that we talked about. First, we'll go in just order of how they broke Tristan McKenzie's injury. It's going to keep him out for a few weeks here, up to eight weeks, maybe they're saying. So, you're not really looking at him coming back until late May, early June. It's not the end of the world. Like, I know it sucks. I know it's kind of deflating because you were really counting on McKenzie taking another step, you know, uh, for this team, being the number two guy behind Bieber, maybe one day being the ace of this staff. And now he's got this setback. But this kind of injury seems like, seems like it's 
a little bit more common coming out of spring training uh, where you feel something in that shoulder blade maybe or, you know, one of those shoulder muscles and you just got to let it work itself out. Uh, Verlander, they paid, the Mets paid all that money to Verlander and he just announced before the game today, before opening day, that he's going on the IL with the same injury that McKenzie has. He's going to be out for a few weeks, going to, you know, do a little rehab and he'll be back. And he's not too concerned about it. So, um, hopefully it's the same situation for McKenzie. I'm not in panic mode. It's it, it's April. It's April. He could still come back at the end of May, beginning of June, still have 20 starts on the season, still have a really good season. So whatever he's got to do to get himself feeling healthy and ready to go, I can live with him missing games in April. It's much better than him burning out, you know, someone burning out in August and then missing the last two months of the season. Right, if it's going to happen, at least it happens now. So it's deflating. It sucks because, yeah, we were all excited to see McKenzie pitch. We were excited to see him take that next step. But we're going to have to be a little bit patient and wait. And hopefully, hopefully this creates some good opportunities for Hunter Gaddis, for Xavier Curry. I don't know. I Gaddis, here's the thing, got blown up for home runs last year. I mean, absolutely, they left him in for that one ridiculous game where he gave up like five, six, seven home runs. So it's a little bit skewed, but he got bombed for home runs. In every appearance of spring training, didn't give up one home run in spring training, which that's encouraging to me. If 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 there's one thing he had to work on from last year, from his major league appearances, it was getting bombed. And it's very easy to hit home runs in spring training. The ball flies out there. Uh, pop-ups, you know, things that seem like they're going to be fly normal fly balls end up carrying for home runs. So the fact that he was able to keep the ball in the ballpark out there in Arizona, a little bit encouraging. So he's got a tough test. This is a Mariners lineup with a lot of home run hitters in it. So Gaddis has a huge test ahead of him tomorrow, pitching a McKenzie spot. But, or today, I should say, tonight. But uh, at least encouraging signs coming out of spring training that he wasn't giving up those home runs in Arizona. So that's my thoughts on McKenzie being out to start the season. Now we move into some positive news. Andres Jimenez, Trevor Steffi getting those long-term contracts. Jimenez is locked up for seven years, and this just made all the sense in the world, right? He's a year ahead of Quan. Those are the two guys that really should be your core moving forward and, you know, Jose Ramirez is the face of the team, but there will come a time where Jose Ramirez will become the old veteran, and it'll start to transition into Jimenez and Quan's team, right? Those are the young guys that should be here for a long time. Jimenez being in the position where he is, where after this season he'll move into he would have moved into an arbitration eligible player. It made sense that he's the guy that gets locked up with the long-term contract. All-star, right? Uh, in the MVP voting. I just gave you a fantastic season. Had all the promises the world coming up as a prospect and put it all together for you in the 2022 season. So why not lock that up? And you know what? It's a it's a pretty fair deal. It's a pretty good deal. I mean, Cleveland pushed the big money payouts way down the line. Years five, six, and seven. So what would be his free agency years? He's going to get paid some serious money. And the 
think 24, 25 million range, right? And so for him, he's got this nice payday he knows is coming. He's locked in a hundred plus million dollar contract. That's got to feel great. And you know what? It just makes you think that maybe Jose Ramirez signing that long-term contract that he did, boy, the ramifications for that, the, the, the way it builds the culture in this clubhouse and in this team and in this franchise, where he says, look, you know, the judges of the world going after their 400, the Trouts and Otanis going after their 400, 500 million dollar contracts, good for them, but we've got a good place to play baseball, you know, it's our team, we, we you know, it's a very player friendly clubhouse, Francona's got their back, the franchise has their back, the fans have their back, why not, why not lock up a hundred million dollars Stay in Cleveland, stay in a place that's really comfortable to play baseball, and have a great career. And have a great life. Lock up, get that security. So I, it feels like a win for both sides. It doesn't feel like the Guardians got a deal. It doesn't feel like Jimenez got undervalued. It feels like both both sides got a win in this contract. So I, I'm excited. Uh, Jimenez is a ridiculously exciting player. Really flashy defensively, has great range, uh, can do all sorts of things with the bat. So, yeah, we'll see as he continues to grow and mature. Does more power come? That's always something you're wondering with these young guys. But even at a 20 homer, 20 steal kind of guy, that's a win. That's a win. That's a guy I want playing on my team every year. So, a huge signing there with Andres Jimenez. And then Trevor Steffen getting locked up. He's a really effective Relief pitcher has a nice inning here, which I think I slept through. Like I said, uh, one inning, uh, no hits, no walks, strikeout on 12 pitches, really efficient. Uh, So uh, he's got an electric arm, and man, did they figure it out with him because he was a starter with the Yankees, coming up with the Yankees, right? We get him in the Rule 5 draft and originally was looked at as maybe a long reliever starter type swingman out of the bullpen. And then, man, he, they start to settle him down into just a standard relief role, and he's taken off. And they've had a lot of success with that lately. Him, Sam Henches, you know, it seems to be working for. So Francona's really got something here, taking some of these guys that maybe uh, couldn't really keep it together for an entire start, but you take what they have and their raw talent, and you package it into one inning, and boy, they can be filthy. So he's done a great job. They, you know, Carl Willis, whoever's working with Stefan, has done a great job of molding him into one of the top setup men in this game. So the fact that they locked him up on a nice friendly contract and for a middle reliever for a setup man, again, he's got to feel good that he's got some guaranteed paydays coming, uh, some real fair contracts coming. So positive news all around that those two guys are locked up. And yeah, so I mean, you've got some real core players locked up under contract now. You've got your back two guys in your bullpen locked up under contract now. For a fan base that was hammering the Dolans, uh, you know, a year ago, before Ramirez and the Classe signed, you got to feel pretty good about where this franchise is headed and the decisions that it's making along the way. I think it's all been positive news so far, and hopefully there's more of these long-term extensions coming because, like I said, Quan is definitely one that I want to keep in Cleveland for a long time. Now, that takes us to our inbox. 
to our emails because uh, Eric emailed me a few days ago and has a question along this path. And he said, both Terry's, Pluto and Francona, love Ahmed Rosario, but I do not. All right, Eric, let's hear it. The guards have many good young shortstops coming up. And also, oh yeah, the most valuable player by war on the team last year, Andres Jimenez, who can also play shortstop. Ahmed is the only core non-arbitration player who is truly a free agent after this year. It seems they feel obligated to extend him because he hustles and is consistent. But if a deal doesn't get done, this front office is not in the business of losing core players for nothing. Do you think that he is a trade candidate at some point this season? Or would that potentially ruin the team chemistry that small market teams need? Maybe this is a rare case where they would just let him play out the season and walk in free agency to preserve the good vibes. Thanks. Keep it up. Eric, thank you for the email. A well-thought-out email here. And yeah, I understand Ahmed Rosario. I think we all know Ahmed Rosario is not top five shortstops in the game. Is he top 10, top 15? Probably. Is he an all you know potential all-star? Maybe not. But is he a solid, solid major league player? Yeah, I, I think he is. I think we can all agree that like he's proven he belongs at the major league level. He had his struggles with the Mets, but here in Cleveland, he's proven he can hang and play this game. And he does. He hustles. Uh he's a he's a decent hitter at the plate. Play he's improved his defense. So you see why they like him. Uh, the other thing that I think you got to factor in, Eric, is how much the clubhouse likes him. You know, from all reports, him and Jose Ramirez are absolute buddies. And I think that's important. I think that chemistry, like you said, the chemistry in a small market team, I think that is really important. So I honestly believe, you know, they were talking about extending him with a contract. I don't think it would have been under Jimenez's contract. I don't think it would have been seven years. I It might have been just a two-year, three-year thing. Like, hey, we love having you around. Let's keep it going a little longer. I know we've got guys like Arias and Rokio coming, but we really like you, Ahmed. Let's, let's keep this going for another season or two. It could have been something as simple as that. Uh, but they didn't seem to get anything done in spring training. And, yeah, I honestly think... I don't know what kind of haul you would get. You know, they don't need more prospects unless there's a glaring need at the trade deadline where, like, somebody like Cincinnati or, you know, somebody else needs a shortstop. They clearly need a shortstop and they have an elite starting pitcher that can go the opposite way. Like, unless something like that lines up, I think they do. I think they just hold on to Ahmed Rosario. He plays out the season, gives you know hugs and high fives to everybody at the end of the year, and goes into free agency, finds himself a nice contract, and then we have either Jimenez shift over or one of the other young guys take over at shortstop. I think that's the way it's going to play out right now. So it's not like when they traded Clevenger or Bauer or Kluber, you know, it seems to be the starting pitchers from Cleveland that everybody covets. I can't think of the last time someone went really went after one of our position players. But yeah, I think maybe he does. I think maybe he does play it out. And then that's, you know, we see how the season goes. So uh, I appreciate the email, Eric. Uh, moving on to our second email from Rick. 
Rick in Austin, he said, Hi, Davey. I love the moves that the Guardians made this offseason. It seems so long ago when we were all frustrated about the front office making no moves. I predict that they win the division again, and the breakout star will be Will Brennan. Well, he had a hit tonight. Uh, I'm enjoying your podcast and will be listening most days. Thanks, Rick. He said, I noticed that the catcher, and he corrected himself because he originally said Anar Diaz, uh, a longtime catcher, uh, Yanar, Yanar Diaz, uh, jumping back to his email here. The player included in the Miles Straw deal has made the Astros team and is in the starting lineup today. He's the DH. He can also play first and left field. He tore up the minors in spring training. He led the team in RBIs. Sometimes those players that seem like throw-ins can come up big. We'll see. Go guards. Uh, Rick, thank you for the email. Yeah, I kind of looked into this. It seems like he was one of those international signings. He signed... uh, with the Guardians franchise back in 2016, uh, December of 2016. So one of those international free agent signings who, you know, they're in the minor systems for a long time when they signed that young. And he was. I mean, he was absolutely crushing it last year at AA, at AAA for Houston. Uh, had an 871 OPS at uh, AA. Had a 929 OPS at AAA for the Sugarland Space Cowboys. And, uh, yeah, he did. He got the start at DH. Now, he went 0 for 4. I believe he went 0 for 4 with two strikeouts uh, in that first uh, game for the Houston Astros. So, we'll see what he brings to the table. Um, I think they have him listed here as a catcher. They got a C next to his name. So, I think they got him listed here as a catcher uh, for the Astros. Yeah, I, I honestly can't think. I'm trying to reflect back, and, and nothing is coming to mind where we threw a guy into a trade and he turned out to be great, uh, where we, we lost a prospect like that. I, I think uh, Yandy Diaz uh, with Tampa Bay might be the best example of a guy that really blossomed once he got to the majors, but I think we knew he was going to be something special in the brief time we saw him here in Cleveland, so a little bit different situation. But yeah, we we don't not many prospects that we pass on to other teams really end up coming back to haunt us too much. Uh, there was also uh, the shortstop, second baseman guy for Detroit. I think one of the Castros, uh, right, who was a shortstop in our system who seemed like he was going to be something pretty good, but hasn't really put it all together yet. That's another one that might have got away from us. Um, you know, we've lost a few guys in Rule 5 drafts, and I don't I don't think any of them have really blossomed into, like, you know, players that we completely regret. So, yeah, maybe this guy. Maybe this guy will be someone we look back on in a few years and go, wow, he was in our farm system, and, boy, we gave up on him too soon. So I appreciate the... Uh, the email, Rick, and thanks for the the deep research. I, I appreciate it. I have a hard enough time keeping track of the prospects in our own system. Rick did the extra work and checked in on a guy we traded away a few years ago. So good job, Rick. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that to our attention. All right, that's all my thoughts. I guess it wasn't that short of an episode after all. My voice is about shots, so let's wrap this thing up. Again, the final from Seattle. Unfortunately, opening day, it's the Mariners 3 the Guardians, nothing. Yeah, it's a little bit of a buzzkill on opening day, but the good news is, is we lace them up and we play again tonight. 
See if you can stay awake one more time for a 10 o'clock start. We will be back tomorrow to talk that game. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I'll try to tweet more, but to be honest, I don't care that much about Twitter. I enjoy talking to you here. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. This I care a lot more about. We need to keep this inbox rolling all season. Let's do it, morning people. Let's be a part of the show. Be a part of the conversation. Let me know your thoughts on the game, on the team, on news, on big storylines. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify, which used to be Anger. So I don't know what the website is, but there's a link in the show notes that they automatically put in there. You can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.